A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, let's do it. Welcome back to Upfront at the Euros. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. And then there were four. England will face Sweden and Germany will take on France in the semi-finals. The French dominated the Netherlands last night, but Daphne van Domselaar wasn't having any of it and only a penalty in extra time separated the two. Meanwhile, Sweden broke Belgian hearts right at the death in their 1-0 win and Germany battled past Austria, but it really was a battle. We're going to look back on all of those quarterfinals and ask what the rest of the pack will have learned about each other after four tight matches. Well, let's start in the most kind of immediate game that happened last night. France defeating Holland 1-0 at the New York Stadium. New York, Rotherham. Um, Do you know what? I also want to tell the listeners, because I don't know if they know this, (laughs) that I did a piece, like a city guide about the Euros, and I actually found out why it's called the New York Stadium. Do you guys know? Not a clue, but I'm really looking forward to this flow. No, tell us. So... The land that that, that, that Rotherham canvassed loads of ideas and names before they named the stadium. But they found out that the land that the stadium was built on used to be a factory where they made fire hydrants for the city of New York in the States. So because of that, they named it the New York Stadium. Well, if anyone's still listening, wow, cool, right? Um, So, yeah, yeah. Don't get that. You don't get that. Very interesting. Fun fact, Flo. That's your new nickname. Well, you don't get that on the BBC Paralympic podcast, do you? So, there you go. Um, Whoa, what a dig! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, listener, listener. We we came second. We well, the the football ramble presents feed, which houses not just our podcast but lots of podcasts. We we got silver in the British Podcast Awards last night, and um, we're very very happy and very salt uh, very salty at the same time. Or no, we're very proud, and that was a gag. And um, there is a fantastic, there is a fantastic, fantastic BBC podcast investigating fake Paralympians that won that rightly won gold, cutting edge journalism at its finest, and that is what we are not. Anyway, get back to the football because Rachel was in ye olde Rotherham watching this one. Um, It was a bit of a ridiculous game from, let's say, the first minute until the last because France were absolutely all over Holland, but somehow they were clinging on for dear life and nearly actually made it to pens, Rachel. I honestly don't know how the Dutch stayed in that game for 120 minutes. And I'd still, that story about the fire hydrants is fascinating because we were expecting fireworks and all sorts of exciting things happening in that stadium. And I just, it wasn't, it it didn't quite live up to the hype that I think a lot of us gave it. A lot of us thought this was going to be the most exciting quarterfinal. And I mean, I guess it was exciting just watching Holland stay in it. Um, I'm still not sure how they managed to play 
so poorly against such a good French team and still not concede until the 102nd minute from a penalty. I mean, obviously, Van Domselaer had a bloody outstanding game um, and Van de Gracht, I thought at the back, was unreal, yeah. just putting her body in front of everything as she has done this whole tournament. But, geez, Netherlands were disjointed. There was no, like connection between the team it seemed like no one really knew what their job was um I thought it was absolutely batshit that Miedema stayed on for 120 minutes girl just came back from 10 days isolation and getting over COVID um I would have thought at some point player welfare would come first because uh, she looked absolutely dead on her feet by about 60th 70th minute and she had to play the full 120 um but yeah it was just a really poor showing from the Netherlands France thoroughly deserved to win it but at the same time <laughs> could not put the ball in the back of the net in open play so yeah, bit of a wild one. I think everyone was just expecting more from it. It was two titans battling it out, going head-to-head for the semi-final space. And Netherlands just didn't come out of the starting block. I mean, France did their classic thing of going absolutely full throttle. Um, in the first 20 minutes especially, it felt like everyone was firing on all cylinders. They obviously got some early chances. Very intense play. Uh, and they were getting so much success on the, on the wings, and especially with Gaiori and, and Diani causing absolute havoc. I mean, the pace and driving at the uh, at the back line was was absolute carnage, and some of the shots that they were having were, were incredible. Um, yeah, I thought Netherlands at the back were, were really, really shaky. And if, if it wasn't for uh, Van der Graaf, I think they'd, uh, they'd have conceded a, a fair few goals in, there in the first half alone. Yeah, we got a shout-out, Goalkeepers Union, Chloe, got a shout-out, Daphne Van Domsela, because we, we've been talking talking her up a lot since she got thrown in uh, to replace Sarah van Wienendol in that opening game against Sweden. She kept Holland in that game. She's She's been immense throughout the whole tournament. She's only, what, 22. Up until that point, she'd had, like, one or two caps. No one could really find out the truth because it's impossible to find out real statistics in women's football because no one knows the answer. But some people said one, some people said two. But she hadn't played a lot is the main thing. And she was replacing the captain who has tons of experience, has played in major tournaments and won major tournaments with Holland. Uh, So yeah, an unreal performance from her. We've got to shout out that. Have to say as well, Chloe, I will admit, I thought Holland might be able to nick this one in extra time. And uh, I may have said in the upfront WhatsApp group that France would shit the bed. And you know what? They nearly did because... No, they didn't. Well, you know, the, the whole the whole narrative of, of the TV coverage had been about a little bit of a curse of, for France, having never made it to the quarterfinal, through the quarterfinals, sorry, never making it through a semifinal, never winning a knockout game at the Euros. And I'm sorry, but the way that they were missing some of those chances and the way that Holland were keeping themselves in it, it did fit that narrative of oh, is it going to happen again to France? And uh, are Holland going to nick this one in extra time? The issue being Holland just never created anything to kind of fit the narrative that they might be able to nick it. Um, We know there's been a lot of criticism over Mark Parsons. I mean, Jill Rod in the build-up to this game was um, funny in her pre-match thoughts saying that she thinks Mark Parsons talks too much. Uh, She started the game on the bench, so there you go. Um, But last night... They looked like they didn't really have a game plan. Uh, I think the team selection was a little bit iffy as well. And yeah, they were just trapped in their own half for the majority of the game, Rachel. I mean, what was the reaction of the players as this was happening? Because Parsons was calling them over, especially Daniel Vanderdonk, you know, to try and influence the game and to try and give, give Holland a way to get a foothold on things. But whatever he was doing, it just wasn't changing the situation for Holland. Yeah, players were looking frustrated. Danielle van der Donk 
especially cut a very frustrated figure throughout the game. I thought she was going to get, I was getting a bit worried about how she was, uh, how she was playing. We know she can be a bit feisty um, and she just didn't look to have maybe the cool head she needed. Um, it, it, like you said at, at the beginning, they, they were hanging on for dear life. That's what it felt like. And I actually think the speed at which the French played really highlighted uh, how kind of slow the Dutch were. And like, I, you know, we saw that they had been playing well in previous matches, but I feel like it was more elevated because of the contrast of the two styles of play. And, you know, they they break down a, a French press, get the ball, and you're like, Jesus, just pass it, find someone. And there was it just seemed to be like they didn't know where the next pass was coming to coming from or where the ball needed to go. Um, and the amount of times they just gave possession straight back was so frustrating. And as the game carried on, you could see Miedema was getting frustrated. Jill Roard eventually came on. She was getting frustrated. They were just, it was like because people didn't know where they were supposed to be, they wouldn't be in the place that was nece- you know, needed for a pass. Or, you know, a couple of times they'd try and do something clever and the other player just wasn't on the same wavelength. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it was actually, the French style just made it look even maybe worse or maybe exposed it even more, I think. They looked slow and they look ex- they looked exposed. And I've got to agree with Rachel. I think in terms of the clearances and the quality of the, the players that they've got on that pitch, I mean, every time they got the ball back, it just felt like it went straight over the top, just trying to launch it down the line just to get the ball away from goal. It just felt like really basic level football. And it reminded me of that. Do you remember that Peter Kay advert where it's just like they're all like doing keepy-ups and then someone just goes, and if Peter Kay gets it, he just goes, oi, have it. <laughs> it felt like that. It felt like really basic level defending, them just clearing it away and then just... it it would come straight back again because France were just wanting to keep them under the under the cosh. And yeah, I think Rod coming on after after half time was a was a great decision. I think she did bring something. Um, I think she made a difference, obviously switching the ball from side to side and opening up things a little bit. But I think that was very quickly cancelled out by you know Basha in the in the second half for um, for France because she was killer. The passion, the pace. She was on everything. She was causing havoc up front, drawing fouls. Um, you know, taking. Um, some of the set pieces as well and delivering them with absolute accuracy. So, yeah, for whatever Ward, whatever benefit Ward was bringing, Basha, um, she cancelled that out fairly quickly. Yeah, I want to actually follow up on what you were saying, Chloe. I absolutely died at that analogy. But you're so right. It reminded me of the, one of those really one-sided WSL games that we often see from between, you know, like a top-tier team like Chelsea and Arsenal and City against like a Bristol City or, you know, an Aston Villa or like, you know, where it's just like so one-sided and they're just under the cosh from like the first minute to the 90th minute. It was really like that, Um, which is bizarre to see when you've got two top quality nations, a nation that has only just recently got to a a World Cup final, recently won, you know, a, a, a European championship. For me... I think there is a little bit of a a changing of the guard in terms of um, the squad, but actually it hasn't changed so much. I think defensively there's been a bit of chopping and changing, but I think overall it hasn't changed too much. I genuinely think there is just such a big hangover from the departure of Serena Wiegmann and they haven't fully opened themselves up. And I know that sounds like uh, that sounds like a kind of a, a, a very emotional thing, but it feels like mentally or spiritually, both genuinely it's very deep. It feels like you know when when someone's just like really hung up on their ex, and like they just they haven't moved on. They might be dating someone new, but you know they haven't moved on. We've all been there. It, it totally feels like that with Mark Parsons. It's like the the Holland team. I mean, we saw how how distraught the Dutch were when they got knocked out of the Olympic Games 
and they had to say goodbye to Serena Wiegmann and they were all in the circle like holding hands after that game and they were in tears in tears after that because the dream was over they wanted to try and finish the Wiegmann era with a medal and they didn't they didn't get it done and I think and that was only you know less than a year ago really and I think mentally I just don't think they've moved on from that and I think they're still and it must be hard as well seeing your ex having success at the tournament right in front of you right I think they have. I've never thought about I, it. Like I that. don't think they fully opened themselves up to Mark Parsons. <laughs> I and, mean, I get and I it, think, man. you know, as a coach, there are some questionable decisions, without a doubt. But I don't think it's just that. I think there is a resistance within that group, big personalities, as we know. There is resistance to accept him as their coach. And I think, you know, the fact that Jill Rod's basically saying, you talk too much, mate, it, it, I think it speaks volumes because I think it's going to be really hard for him to get Poor a hold of this group Mark. because. They're longing for Serena Wiegmann and maybe a wiser choice for the Dutch FA would That's have been to try and beautiful. hire, you know, uh, a coach who who worked with Wiegmann. A blonde or, woman. Not, not just a blonde woman, but, you know, someone that someone that transitions that better. <laughs> I mean, or just put a blonde wig on Mark Parsons. Maybe that'll work. But um, so, <laughs> someone that someone that will help them transition a bit bit more from the same sort of setup. You know, the way that Bev Priestman maybe would have been a good successor to Phil Neville. Who knows? But... There needs to be some continuity, and I think this sudden gear change has been really hard for the Dutch to deal with, but that's my kind of, you know, theory. But let's talk about France, because we saw them absolutely steamroll through Italy in that first game. It's been a little bit of an up and down in the other games since, losing a, a Katoto, but still having this devastating front line. Chloe, where do you see them now in terms of, like, where they sit within this final four on their chances of winning this tournament? I think for me, they they sit up there as being contenders now for the final. I think that performance, especially in the first half, I think they did do their classic thing of dropping off slightly in the second half. But that first half, if you can maintain that pressure and that intensity throughout both halves of the game, I think they look like a real threat. And I know for them, obviously, it would have been playing on their minds. They've been knocked out of five successive um, quarterfinals in major tournaments, but they've broken the curse now. And so for them, I think there is this kind of expectation and confidence in their minds that they can go on and actually win this competition now and to me they look like the most attacking presence I mean Goyori and Diani are just um they look scary they looked really really scary the pace the uh, the directness in which they attack I think that that would be an absolute match for um for our back line obviously you know because we're gonna be in the final <laughs> Rachel how about you how are you feeling um, about France at the moment yeah I agree they do look frightening and I think it will be a huge uh, weight off their shoulders that they've managed to get through a quarterfinal. Um, I'm still worried about their goal scoring abilities. Uh, I know they put away five in the first match, and a part of me thinks if they just like soaked up their Euros goal tally already or something, because they seem to be struggling in other matches to actually put the ball in the back of the net. It's kind of Spain esque. Um, so I think that would have probably worried me a bit yesterday was just not being able to score. Um, and I I, part of me thinks I'm hoping that's not something that starts to creep in in their mind that the ball isn't going in the back of the net um, yeah that's that'd just be be one thing for me but you're right they're absolutely frightening going forward um, their wingers are ridiculous uh, and I think they could cause Germany's back line some problems we saw how Austria kind of troubled them a bit when they started quickly and given the French start super fast um, they could put the, the Frighteners up Germany. Uh, but they also have an excellent goalkeeper in Froms. So, um, yeah, it could be it could be tasty. I feel like if Germany can keep them out in the first half, 
we haven't seen France score in the second half of a match yet. So that's where you could catch them mentally if you can keep them quiet in the first half. I think um, credit to them, though, even though they've not scored um, a lot of goals, I think they should have done in the in the Netherlands game. I think it was only due to Dom Salah that those chances were kept out. So I don't think it's um, the sort of lack of shots on target that's stopping France. I think it's excellent goalkeeping. I always look through things with an England lens because I'm sorry, like, you know, obviously I'm a journalist, but when it comes to major tournaments, it's really hard for me not to. If England is still in it, I'm going to look through this with an England lens. And for me... Uh, I was really hoping Holland were going to get it done because it would have been a far better scenario for England going forward. But hey ho, um, if well, it, it definitely would have done because we wouldn't have had they wouldn't have had Miedemar or Van der Graaf at the back because of the yellow card situation. So you'd have had your best and defender is, and your best Janssen attacker as well. I think she she that after and that Janssen. penalty, yeah. Um, it would I have thought been, that um, cancelled out after the quarters. No, they said no, on comms. Yeah, yeah, I think it cancels after the group games. No. I think after the group oh. games, they get a reset and then after oh. the knockouts. Well, yeah, that would have been absolute gold. Being without your best attacker and your best uh, your best defender going into the uh, the semifinals. Well, he'd run her into the ground anyway, so I'm not yeah. even sure she'd have... And that, and she'll probably be out for about six weeks now. There were plenty of questions as to whether or not yeah. Vivian Miedemar should have been starting and, and played extra time as well. She looked absolutely exhausted minutes. and it didn't Ridiculous. help that you know they spent the whole game chasing the ball um but for answer through that's what matters they still look really fucking good um and it's going to be interesting to see what happens from now because like you said chloe that matchup with germany is gonna be spicy um let's move on to the other quarterfinal the one that was the most important really for England fans to keep an eye on. Sweden defeating Belgium 1-0. Another like tense, edgy game in which the better side just piled on the pressure and the weaker side was clinging on for dear life, but looked like, again, they might be able to take it all the way. Um, but the uh, the resistance from Belgium eventually fell through and Sweden got their winner from Sembrand in the 92nd minute. I think, Rachel, I mean, you were there at this one as well. It seemed like relief more than anything for the Swedes because I think they were getting quite worried, whereas I didn't know if we saw that with France. There seemed to be like still a belief there, but Sweden looked like they were getting a little bit stressed and like they were worried that they were about to throw this opportunity away. Yeah, which is understandable. I mean, they had something like 32 shots, um, a ridiculous number on target. And again, Nikki Everard between the sticks for Belgium was unbelievable. And she's semi-professional. I think she's like rents out bouncy castles in her full-time job, which is You're um, joking. just bonkers. But yeah, I, I, no, no, I'm deadly serious. Um, I did not yeah, know that. So Wow. <laughs> understandably they were getting frustrated um you know they had a, a, a goal disallowed early on in the, like the 24th minute or something like that and they probably thought oh, here we go again you know they had so many disallowed throughout the tournament um I'm thinking that they might be up there with one of the the highest with, with goals disallowed um but yeah they they were struggling a little bit in terms of finishing and a lot of shots off target as well but you have to factor in that they also had a number of key players out they had a number of key players out in their defense with covid um and i think there's probably more injuries or illness in the squad than maybe they were letting on because quite a number of players on the bench just did not get brought in you know you had lena hertig um sophia jacobson on the bench caroline Seeger still still not fit uh so the fact that they could go on and win it despite all of that um will will do wonders for their confidence i think and i think they'll have some of those players back as well by the time the semi-final comes around 
I feel like for me, it's going to be that, um, that, you know, we did the poll. Obviously, we did the poll a couple of weeks, what was it a week ago or so? About the falling uh, out, flow, you mean, taking it Denmark, every, Denmark gate. Yeah, that kind of, yeah, it was a little bit of a falling out because Flo just, you know, wasn't able to assess properly the, the, the game. Shut and, up. Um, you know, Shut it doesn't, it happens, up. It's very rare. It's very rare. I mean, I respect your uh, opinion on oh. most, 99% of football matters, but that was... Um, that was an oversight from you, but it, it happens, whatever. And, um, yeah, I feel like it's going to be that situation where it was was Sweden really, really bad or were Belgium actually quite good? And and I think for me, I was really impressed with Belgium. Mm. I thought they had amazing part, uh, passing patterns in the midfield. Um, I thought they were making it very hard for, for Sweden to pick up balls. Um, loads of strategic uh, tackles and fouls to sort of break up the play and and, uh, and stop those quick uh, Swedish counter-attacks. And, um, and obviously Everard at the back pulling out worldy after worldy and now knowing that she's a, a freelance, um, you know, pop-up balloon expert just makes her even more <laughs> incredible. I think it was Bouncy Castles, um, but that job also sounds really fun. So let's, that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like something I could get into. Um, but for me, I mean, the quality wasn't there in the final third for Sweden. They had two clear chances uh, within the sort of opening minutes of the game. And, and Angle Dahl in particular wasn't converting chances. There was so many uh, skied balls over the crossbar. I, I can't even, uh, I, I, I can't even count. And also, yeah, Rachel, you're completely right. There was, um, yeah, 30, 32 attempts on goal and 13 corners in that game and not and only one of them converted. So for me, I'd be looking at that game as a, as a obviously as an England fan and also, you know, the the England squad are going to be thinking, OK, well, what I thought was going to be a, a stronger opposition, and I know we can't get complacent about this. We've, we've seen the same thing happen with, with Spain where they've not, you know, come out all guns blazing and all of a sudden pull out a, a, a worldy performance. But, you know, for me, Sweden don't look on top form at the moment, and I think it's um, we need to capitalise on that and, and have a look at that game and and, uh, and assess the weaknesses of it. For me, I think uh, what this these quarterfinals have shown us is that teams who we expect to not play that well have played really well, and I would not think that Sweden is going to play anything like they did against Belgium when they come out to play against England. So, And I know England won't be looking at that and thinking, oh, we've got this in the bag because... That is not the case at all. Um, I think what with Sweden, I think they struggled with their fullbacks because they did have some injuries there um, and they weren't able to get the same kind of link up up the left side, especially with Fridolina Rolfo. She was forced to come back a lot and drop back a lot and defend. Um, so they weren't getting the same kind of attacking outlets. And I think if they've got those players back in the squad, that's going to offer them so much more width on the pitch. Um, and yeah, I just, I wouldn't be getting ahead of myself too much. Not saying that you are, Chloe, but just in general, looking at kind of wider media coverage, I wouldn't be getting ahead of myself after that game, thinking that England have got this in the bag because semi-finals are a whole different beast. Um, and I think it's going to be a really, really tough match. Yeah, I think I learnt my lesson after going in hard on this podcast and a few others that uh, England were going to breeze through their quarterfinal against Spain because Spain had been so poor uh, in in the majority of the tournament up until that point, but I think you know you 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 have to you have to look at every game as as, as so separately. And and although I I agree, I think Sweden have looked disjointed. They're attacking front three. The you know Goodhartson hasn't kind of worked out the best way to utilize them. They will have their fullbacks back for this game. Uh, well, hopefully, depending on how long their recovery is, but they should have them back for this game. Um, and 
they're going to look pretty lethal, I think. And, uh, you know, because of our Eshelani's had an unbelievable tournament so far and she's going to be a handful. So I think there are there are ways that England have shown that they can be exposed. And uh, I'm, you know, 100% sure that Peter Goodhartson is going to want to do exactly the same that Spain did to, to England, just shut down any opportunities for England to, to target and punish Sweden. So it's going to be a tough old game, but I'm still feeling very confident. I'm still feeling confident. I still think England are a better team than Sweden right now, but maybe I'm being a bit naive, but I do still feel that. Chloe, what do you think? I agree. I think on balance, England look to be the stronger. I think they've been the more consistent team throughout the tournament, whereas I, I do agree. I've got, a, yeah, we can't get complacent about the fact that, that that wasn't their best performance against Belgium because, it, you know, the semi-finals is a completely different kettle of fish. But, you know, tactically, I thought the game wasn't managed very well. Um, and I think that is an area of weakness. I mean, Sweden didn't look great especially in the first half, second half more so, but I think that's because Belgium were tiring rather than, you know, it being a more evenly balanced game. And, um, you know, for me, I think only making a substitute, I think in the, what was it, the 80th minute, 82nd minute, um, when things were so yeah. flat, I think is an absolute error. Um, and I agree. I mean, Aslani was, was pretty much carrying the team in points and, and they definitely looked at, at Blackstinius as kind of being their, their only go-to situation. So... Um, yeah, I still fancy our chances. There's definitely some weaknesses there that we can exploit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Let's talk about uh, the, uh, the the other quarterfinal, Germany to Austria nil at Brentford Community Stadium. Oh, I was so gutted for Austria. I took my mum to this game and we were both rooting really hard for Austria and uh, and they were so good. They were so organised. They had really good opportunities on the break. And in another world, in another dimension, 
they would have won this game. They hit the they hit the woodwork three times, which is just totally ridiculous. But Germany and their just absolute ruthless efficiency came through. Um, Rachel, I know you were at this one as well. Um, what what was your take on the game? Because I just came away thinking, oh man, Austria must be gutted, and, and they rightly rightly were because it was it was such a a hard watch. I think in the 80th minute or 85th minute, I was thinking Austria are going to get an equaliser. That's how it felt the game was going. And I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to have to do another extra time. Um, I thought they started really, really well. They came out of the blocks, a bit like they did against England. First kind of 15, 20 minutes, came out of the blocks, hit the bar, you know, had a couple of really good chances, made the, like, the, the, I was talking to uh, producer Charlie and Finn afterwards because they came to the match as well. Um, and it just got really chaotic in the midfield as both sides, like Germany were almost a bit like, oh God, we've got to get control of this game. We weren't expecting Austria to kind of come at us the way they did. Um, so it was a little bit chaotic in the midfield as both sides were trying to get get hold of it and get some sort of game plan in place. It was very much back and forth. Um, really impressed with how they came out. Really unlucky not to have gotten the goal in the first half, particularly um, and then, yeah, those kind of last 10, 15 minutes, it really felt like they were going to get the equaliser. I really just, the second goal, Alexander Pop um, breaking down, blocking Manuela Zinsberger's clearance or kick out. That was coming. That was not the first time that had happened. She'd been doing that all game. The fact that Germany were still pressing that high in the 90th minute tells you something about their game plan. Um, but she'd already blocked down one of Zinsberger's. I keep playing it out from the back. And for some reason, she did it again. And uh, Pop said afterwards that their goalkeeper coach identified that when Zinsberger plays out from the back, she kind of loses her left side a little bit. And Pop came in from the left side. Uh, and that's where she blocked the ball. And just awfully awful one of those like head and hands moment blocked the ball and it went straight back straight into the goal so I do think maybe 2-0 wasn't really a, a fair kind of reflection of the game um I really thought Austria were going to edge it at the end <laughs> what you touched on the goalkeeping error and I was literally just about to say the same thing I mean I kind of looked back on it and tried to see it from different angles because for me as a goalkeeper you've got the best view on the pitch and you know the ball is in front of you the players are in front of you you should be able to see someone coming in uh, and blocking that that shot off or becoming a, a bit of a uh, an attacking presence and I think what's happened is you're completely right Rach is that she's received the ball in from the right hand side taken a touch obviously taken too long not scanned before she's received that touch in to see the threat coming in on the left and like, I mean, Pop comes in at an absolute pace, but it's not the first time that's happened throughout the game. So it's something that you should be aware of. And when in doubt, clear it the hell out that other side. But yeah, I think it was the, it was a lack of scanning um, and not learning from the mistakes in, in the game that, that did it for her. But that these things happen in goalkeeping because, you know, you can do a thousand things right and then you make one obvious error and that's all anyone focuses on. And it's um, it's it's pretty savage. Yeah, um, we've seen we've seen Zinsberger be susceptible uh, for Arsenal as well in, in the same sort of scenario. So uh, it's, it's just such a heartbreaking way to kind of have the, you know, the, the game uh, slip away from you. But they just they didn't look like they were going to score because it felt like, you know, Things were, you know, things weren't going their way that night. So it probably wouldn't have changed anything, but it is kind of heartbreaking to watch. But I think it's really exciting to see uh, how well Austria played in that game and how, how well they've played in the in the tournament as a whole, really, because I think the way that they put England under pressure, uh, you know, showed the, the signs of, of quality that they do have. And I think they they 
are going to cause teams problems. We know that they're good because they got to the semi-finals of the, of the last tournament, but I do think there is a really exciting project there. I think they've got some really good individual players and and I'm excited to see them hopefully qualify for the World Cup next year. They've never qualified for a World Cup before, but they should secure the runner-up spot in England's group and then they, they'll go through to a playoff and I think it'd be brilliant to see them there next year because they are a very good team. Um, Germany, though, we know that ever since this tournament started, people have been uh, you know, aware of their qualities and their talents and, and, and the, the goal scorers they have as well are, are pretty terrifying. I think in the sort of final two weeks before this tournament started, I looked at Germany's squad and I was like, oh, God, the, these these guys are really good. Um, we are now to the crunch time of this tournament. France v Germany, we've said, is going to be a massive semi-final. But looking at these semi-finals, guys, now with England facing Sweden on Tuesday and Germany facing France on Wednesday... Who do you guys think is going to be playing at Wembley on Sunday, the 31st of July, in front of over 80,000 people in 30 degrees? Who's it going to be, guys? Who's going to come through those semifinals? I feel really bad because we just gave you so much shit a few podcasts ago about you running through every different bloody scenario that could possibly happen on nine different eventualities if X mate Y makes Z squared. And ultimately, I do think it will be an England-France <laughs> final. So um, sorry about that. Maybe I owe you a pint. Uh, it's really hard to call. Um, and I think the fact that all the quarterfinals were so close is really exciting because no one has run away with it. Even the teams we thought we've looked at during the competition and, and said, oh, my God, like these guys are, are scary. Um, they've not run away with it in the quarterfinals, which makes it really, really hard. Uh, based on the quarterfinal performances, I think England, Germany. I think Fromms has had a better tournament than Peru Mannion. I'm probably butchering her had the pronunciation there, but I just think she's a little bit, I don't even want to say shaky, but there's been a few things that I've seen all of France's matches not, I didn't plan to go and see all of France's matches, but I, I I ended up seeing all of France's matches. And she's, out of the two goalkeepers, there have been times where you've, you've kind of been like, whoa, uh, and she has also conceded. So on that merit, I think Germany might be able to hold them off. If they can hold them off in the first half, I think they might be able to come through. Uh, I think England-Sweden is going to be a really, really tight match. Uh, but again, based on based on how they've performed in the tournament and how England came through that Spain game, I think they might just edge it. So England-Germany for me. England-Germany, Wembley final. Ooh, that is that is intense. That is intense. Oh, God. I've, just watch it be Sweden-France. I feel a bit sick at the prospect of that. I'm going to go England-France final, but, I mean, it's just... It could go either way, guys, and... Um, I'm so excited for next week. We've got a little bit of recovery time now to uh, to to look forward to the to the next few days, but it's been a hell of a ride up to this point. So I'm expecting more fireworks. I don't know if I could physically handle penalties in either of these games, but we're yet to see penalties, so feels like we're kind of due them. I just hope it's not going to be in the England Sweden game because I think I will throw up 
at Bramall Lane. Um, yeah, but also Mary Earps. All right, yeah, don't do you know what? It. Yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Mary Earps, God, Gobshite Energy TM. Like she will, <laughs> she will do well in a pen shootout. So that that does make me feel make me feel uh, more comforted. Um, thank you as always, guys, for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions, you can tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, at Girls on the Ball, or at Morgie underscore eighty nine. We're going to be back on the Football Ramble feed again on Wednesday after England's semi final against Sweden. But if you want a preview of that semi-final we're going to be back here on the Rabble Presents feed on Tuesday specifically looking at those two games and of course talking about England because there are some big hopes and some even bigger expectations we will see you all then Upfront is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.